Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Gentlemen, start your engines. <clears throat> I've got something that was stuck in my throat. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Nine times. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 221 of the More Than Just Go podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Greg Hill in San Francisco, California. How's it going? Number nine. Number nine. And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. And Hami's off getting fitted for new dentures or something. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to start off uh, before we dig into the uh, regular stuff. Um, there's a there's an event coming up. Um, by the time this hits the street, you may be able to hear it. It's basically a thank you to our patrons uh, it's being organized through patreon.com they've asked us to do something special for that so with that said i would like to thank our current patrons who are sean marston wade tragakis uh jeffrey fulton adam beardsley alicia ramirez who is of course you know freezing her butt off in winnipeg as she likes to say and jolt guy i think he's in whitby somewhere um and i'd also like to throw out a thanks to our, our past sponsors and some of our followers as well so we had felix wang um neil van fleet ryan Rapp, Gary Banfield, Just Right Code, I wonder who that is, The Catterwalls, Aaron Vince, uh, Bill Smith, Emery Sari, and Adam Armstrong, of course. So, yeah, thanks to you people for being our supporters. Every little nickel you guys throw us helps with, you know, saving off the, the banks and the collectors and stuff. So it's all appreciated. Thank you very much. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Thanks, Woo-hoo. everybody. All right. Yeah. So, hey, um, yeah. So you mentioned we have some um, Ask MTJC. We do have right? some from uh, Paul Wilkinson, who mm-hmm. writes in to ask about localization. Uh, I don't know when you guys might have talked about this, but he says, following up on the mobile slash cellular localization, I noticed that macOS now asks you to confirm that you want to empty the bin instead of the trash. Mm-hmm. Is this an mm-hmm. Australian localization? I have not. I just tried emptying the trash, as it's called here, and it says trash, but um, bin, that sounds like a British thing, but maybe it's Australian it's as well. It's British, yeah. 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 Bin would be to bin something, or to throw it out would be to bin it. Yeah, yeah. but he suggests also perhaps Australian, so I don't know. Maybe our Australian listeners can <laughs> tell 
tell us well, what he, it says. He's actually, uh, I believe he's in Australian in Australia. Mm. He's, he's he's mentioned he's mentioned that before because we had some questions about time zones and things, and he was or with uh, cellular plans or something like that. I forgot what his Ask MTJC was in the yeah, past. Yeah, I but. think that's why he's referencing the uh, mobile plans and things like that. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, if yeah. he's seeing Bin, then um, I, I, he would be the expert. Uh, if that's new, then uh, that sounds great that they're doing that level of uh, localization. I should pay more attention. Though. Yeah, okay. I did set my yeah, Siri yes. voice on my phone to the uh, British voice, so maybe I'll see if uh, it starts telling me about looking through the bin instead of looking through the garbage or something, however we would say mm, it. Yeah, I don't know about that, but because mm. that would be a strings thing that would be localized in, in his uh, machine there. So, hmm. interesting stuff. All right, so we have some follow-up here. Uh, Jaime basically posted a our, Ars Technica article about Apple replacing unresponsive iPhone 10 touchscreens for free. Um, I heard a little bit about this earlier this week. I guess some people are having issues with their, their screens locking up, right? Have you guys heard about this? I haven't. I saw a bunch of other things about them. Uh, I think the, another keyboard replacement, something about the battery on the MacBook, or sorry, mm-hmm. the SSDs on the MacBook Escape. That's the 13-inch MacBook without the touch bar, and there's some SSD issues. I saw a whole bunch of sort of recall-related... <laughs> MacBook Escape. Okay. That's, that's what they're calling it. Uh, I saw a whole bunch of recall-related things over the last week, though. I haven't. I don't have an iPhone 10. I have the 10s from this year, but I don't have the 10, so right, I haven't heard right. about any issues with it. Um, I mean, I haven't been keeping keeping up with that stuff. Well, I had my screen replaced last year because I had the laser, the lightsaber effect with a green line along the edge. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I've already had mine replaced. But uh, uh, oh, and it's covering it for three years after sale, which is good because you know, as you know, Apple Care uh, the normal warranty is one year for hardware, but it's t- uh, three years if you two years if you have Air- Apple Care Plus. Um, but this extends it for yet another year. So interesting. I haven't had oh. any uh, screen issues with my iPhone 10, but I am having worsening cellular connectivity with my iPhone 10. Really? And I and I do know I have one of the, the Intel phones, not the Qualcomm phones. Uh, How do you know that? Modem. Uh, you can look up the serial number and it will tell you. Not the serial number, the uh, the part number, oh, product okay. number. Uh, and mine is, hold on, I'm going to look and get it right now. Let's all go to our phones. Yep. So, yeah, so model MQAM2LL currently has the Intel modem in it. So what's your middle numbers? MQAM2LL. Oh, you're an AM2V. A- and then CA is Canada, so mm-hmm. that's how they know we're, I'm a Canadian, or at least about the phone in Canada. Yeah, I've noticed recently that my connectivity is is getting much worse uh, to the point where sometimes I can't even you know make calls or, or you know, do anything over cellular. It's it's pretty bad. Really? Huh. Yep. Yeah, I have issues with with connectivity, but I'm you know usually down in the under a big giant building in downtown Toronto. But, mm-hmm. yeah, but I never had trouble making a call. That's weird. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's you know I can make the call, but it's it's it breaks up. And it's you know it's uh, not good connectivity. Mm, I call that getting Rogered up here. Yeah, which <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because our, our our supplier's name is Rogers, by the way. Just in case people were thinking something else. Um, all right, so Mark, you have something about an exploding yeah, iPhone. Yeah, speaking 10. of iPhone tens, there's there's a report out that someone updated their iPhone ten to twelve point one, and as soon as they disconnected from the power, it exploded. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty interesting pictures online about this that, that you can see. We'll, we'll post uh, references to them. Uh, the, the classic thing, though, is uh, is Apple's response, which was, this is, quote, definitely not expected behavior, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, to me, it looks like the, if you look on the, the picture where the back the back glass is broken, it looks like it's mm-hmm. broken away around where the where the induction circuitry is, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's where my, uh, you know, that's the, sort of the sweet spot when I put it on my key charger, that's where it, it shows up, right? Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's blown, blow, well, I guess 
it, it does get warm well, when it charges, that's for sure, right? Yeah, true. I wouldn't say this is not like exploding or catching fire or whatever. Like, you know, we've seen, we've personally seen batteries blow up, Mark, you and I, mm-hmm. and catch fire. Yep. <laughs> Burned a hole in a woman's purse once. That's, uh, that's right. Yeah, that wasn't a phone battery, but, but it was still, still it was pretty like, dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was I mean, exciting. It was exciting. Yep. This looks like it's busted through the front and the back, but in different spots, which is interesting. Like mm. on the back, it's almost dead center, but then the front is more towards the bottom. Towards the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting yeah. pattern there, but that looks pretty explosive to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of kind of a weird thing. Yeah, not expected behavior. That's for sure. All right. Tim, you have next? something here about Spotify? Yeah, this is a quickie. Um, I just read this morning that uh, Spotify has launched their first iPhone, Apple Watch app um, uh, that will apparently let you listen to your playlist on the new phones which ha- or new watches which have speakers built into them, right? Apparently you can't download content to it or like I guess there's no place to store them or something like that. But I also heard that people are able to listen to Overcast podcasts on their on their watch now too, right? But I mean, and download things to it. Um, I forget one of the guys at the um, Taco Meetup was talking about it yesterday. Um, but yeah, I, I can't remember if he said he could. I think he was saying, or he got the cellular one, and he was saying he can't really doesn't really work for for that. But but he does listen to Overcast on his on his watch. So interesting stuff. But uh, yeah, so and as we know, Spot. We've, this is a follow up item because Spotify and Apple are sort of you know neck and neck with uh, well not quite neck and neck, but they're competing on the, the who's going to be your your uh, online uh, music play, you know, whether it's going to be Apple or, in fact, there's no Spotify on the HomePod. That's another knock against uh, against the HomePod, but uh, the one and done HomePod. But the, um, you know, of course, Google Play will play with your, play your uh, Spotify. And Spotify, people, I mean, people at work use it, you know, to listen to their music during the day and that kind of stuff too, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have a Spotify accounts. I do have a Spotify account. That's my music yep. thing of service of choice. Yeah. Music du jour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, anyway, let's come to the watch. I, haven't, I didn't try downloading it, but uh, it's interesting though. Like, just question for you guys. So, you have uh, I have Spotify on my Mac, and I notice that every time I reboot my Mac, it, it launches Spotify. But I don't keep Spotify open all the time, right? So, is it like part of our startup items or something? Yeah, it might be in your login items. You can always remove it yeah. or check it yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. just didn't ever, yeah, never got around to it. I'm just going to skip doing it now too. So, how about that? <laughs> all right. Um, the next piece is just a follow up uh, article from The Verge about, uh, and this is written from you know the right to repair guys and the conspiracy theorists about how the man is trying to keep us down and all that kind of stuff and the, the man being apple in this case and keeping us down by not letting us fix our own computers but the reason I, I posted this here is because when the announcement which i'm sure greg still hasn't listened to yet um was out and they were talking about the t2 chip and it's now appearing in the, the it's now in the ipad pros it's now in the mac mini and we were kind of wondering why the mac mini why it would be in the mac mini at all but i do know that from my studies at apple that the the t2 chip or, or the whole houses the secure enclave and um so my theory was that if you know you had to replace the touch id sensor you'd be replacing the t2 chip and um any kind of any kind of repairs that would affect something like the drive or storage um in your ssd flash drive or whatever um would be encrypted with whatever whatever codes are in your t2 chip anyway so the article goes on about how um you know is this apple trying to block people from using from using third third party repair places and 
certain parts because now you ha- there's a diagnostic tool that Apple's admitted has to be run on the, any device that has a T2 chip to basically, I guess it's like a, it, it um, verifies the security or whatever. Maybe it, maybe it transfers over the identity from one to the other or something. But um, my theory was if you switched out the T2 chip, you wouldn't be able to read the drive because the, the key that locks the, or encrypts the, the data is in the T2 chip in the secure enclave. Secure enclave. Um, and that's what they're saying here. So I, again, we were talking about the right to repair and stuff like that. I think it last two weeks, last week when Greg was on and the week before when Jaime and Mark. But um, so they're sort of saying, what's, I'm just trying to find the name of this this tool that Apple says you have to run. So it basically means you have to, you know, because this tool is only available to Apple authorized service providers or the Apple store, then you're kind of limited in terms of where you go to get your things repaired. And there's the big debate about whether Apple's charging more money than they should for repairs and that kind of stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it was a report on CBC a couple of weeks ago about that. CBC, Canada, CBC television here. Um, yes, are you looking at the article by any chance, guys? Yeah. What's the name of the software we have to run or it needs to be run? A long article. What do you mean the software that we have to run? Well, there's a piece of software that, that when in order to finish the repair, there's a diagnostic tool that has to run. Oh, it's called the AST, AST2, AST2 configuration suite. Configuration suite. It needs to be run, yeah. And that's what, um, to complete the repair, it says. And to, in, you know, basically make uh, make sure the system is operative, operative afterwards. So, hmm. As Apple says here for Macs with the Apple II T2 chip, the repair process is not complete for certain parts and replacements until the AS2, AST2 system configuration suite has been run. Failure to perform this step will result in, in an inoperative system and incomplete repair. So, and of course, got all the iFixit guys up in, Aurora, up in arms about that, right? So, Yeah, I mean, this, this is another tricky one. Like we were talking about a few weeks back, it's this balance between, you know, we want to have good security and we want to have privacy, uh, but yet at the same time, time you know right to repair makes sense and it's it's an important thing but I, I suspect that the reason apple's doing this is is nothing really malicious it's just that if they if they were to give out this tool to just anyone who wanted to be a third-party repair shop well that would enable chop shops right people who are unscrupulous would yeah. could take stolen phones and use this tool and 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 uh you know resell them as, as like new so i i think we're 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 still in this transition phase where people are still trying to figure out how digital privacy is going to work in the future, and uh, you know, I, 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 again, I don't, I don't think, I think, I think Apple is not acting maliciously. I think they're trying to protect their customers. That's true, yeah, and, and that's why I posted one in my people who are driving at home can't see what I put in the note is that I'm not, I'm not in agreement with the tone or position that this post is writing in the article about. But the point, my point was that that it re- reaffirms the fact that I thought the T2 chip would play an integral ro- role in security going forward. And mm-hmm. apparently it does, according to even even Apple, who usually doesn't disclose kind of things like this mm-hmm. um, in any way. And, and I, I don't think they're, I, like I said, I don't think that they're being, I agree with Mark, that they, I don't think they're doing this on purpose in order to, you know, to keep people down. Apple's more about being the trusted advisor and, you know, making sure that we're protecting ourselves, protecting us from ourselves more or less, right? So, and, there's, you know, that's that's kind of, the, you, you always want to have the best experience you can with your devices and so on and so forth. And um, I, would, I would tend to take my stuff to an Apple person. Or, or Apple itself to get things repaired. If I was, you know, if I wanted to do it, if I wanted, you know, if I if I knew it was something I could fix, I'd try and do it myself. But you know, the average the average Joe doesn't have that skill. All right. Um, so let's get into the stock discussion. So um, do we have to? <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know, we I know. It's yeah, it's a pity party. I know. Yep. Um, 
And, and the long story is my my long um, prediction is I'm going to hang on to my my shares and because uh, I think it'll come back. But I think it's just a, what's happening in the industry is just a knee jerk reaction. So let's talk about that. Um, so and this is follow up from what Greg and I were talking last week when we noticed that uh, the um, we were talking about the iPhone 10 R um, esti- or not the estimates, but the the the, the supply oversupply or the the the, the they had a the production hair- something or other production line or something on. Standby, and Apple apparently told them, uh, you know, no thanks, we don't need that. And it's like, oh my god, you know, iPhone XR is you know dead or whatever, whatever rumors. But yeah, there was another, there's another note, um, or not a note, but another uh, analysis from uh, Ming Chi Ko that said um, he his sort of estimates for what the um, shipments of the XR are, are. He's cutting them. His original estimate was 100 million units, and it's down mm-hmm. to 70 million. And so, well, there's um, also two that Apple Apple announced. I think last month or last call that that they weren't going to be separating out the the iphone numbers from uh from macs and and services which they had done in the past and, and i think that kind of raises some eyebrows in 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 the, the stock world that doesn't really understand apple's position because i mean 67 percent of their business up in, or 60 percent of their business up until recently has been iphone specifically right? Mm-hmm. right um yeah one way to look at that is that apple's trying to hide something because they know there's going to be problems in the future and they're trying to hide it yeah i think the best guess is like the number of units sold is going to decrease that's the same thing from this analysis here uh, right. talking about the talking about the 10 hours specifically about the cutting the forecast but also that the number of units is probably going to decrease but the average selling price is probably going to increase so it's going to look well, like it's just standing still in price yeah yeah but it's going to look like it's if they just report the dollar value it's going to look like it's standing still and like oh look you know we're about the same or maybe we increased by a little bit but actually number of units is going to be down is the thinking um so that said like as of today um um, so the talk stock was already starting to go down when Greg and I were talking about it last week, and it's gone even. It continues to go down, and it's all based on the react knee jerk reaction from the markets about you know all this um, negative vibe about what's going on because oh my god Apple's doing because we're not they're not buying the third line third in line uh, phone. Um, but if you listen, I linked in some of the videos here too that from this uh, from uh, Bazinga. No, I think um, on, on the bottom of the CNBC link that I have here. There's a video that they discuss um, a bunch of predictions from a bunch of different stock, you know, pundits. And again, like we said last week, we're not spelt stock people. We're not experts in this kind of stuff. Mark knows a little bit more about it, which is why I'm going to ask him some questions in a minute. But, um, but we're, we're all saying, shareholders, I think, ourselves. And yeah, this we is are, all yeah. for entertainment yeah. purposes only. Yeah, yeah exactly. Keep in so, mind that the, the overall market has been down too, especially especially today. But the, but I also read today that, or I read, yeah, I read today that, that um, the market's also down because Apple's down. Like people are, because, well, you know, yeah. yeah, so so because Apple goes down, people start panicking and, and you know, start, um, you know, I, I'm in it for the long haul. I don't I don't play the short stocks or whatever. I just, you know, I basically, I believe in Apple as a company. I believe in other companies that I invest in, and I just keep my money there because I, I figure, you know, over the long haul, you know, it's going to be good for me and good for them, right? Um, and I have no doubt that Apple's going to, you know, come back to the position they were in before. I don't know if they're going to go as ri- rise as high as they do, and I'm not really in the market for that anyway. But um, I do want to ask Mark. So um, they were talking about ASPs. Is that the average stock price or something? Or what does that average mean? Average sale price, usually. Sale price. Okay. Yeah, because they were saying that, you know, the, the sale prices, ASPs are down and blah, blah, blah. And somebody mentioned that Apple was moving towards a bear market. What's the difference between a bear and a bull market? So a, a bull market is is when people are positive on stocks, and the bear market is when people are negative on stocks. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have a couple of tools that we I use. 
use you know some of the ones some of the ones from Apple and some of the, some through the bank that I work at um, and they they show like the prediction of whether you should hold a stock or sell a stock or, or you know buy a stock and for the most part um, the places I've checked Apple Apple comes under the buy so people are still considering it that that it's a, a good buy right um, as of time of this recording we're da- it's a, it was down around forty dollars US but that's quite a drop from Apple, but um, but if you if you look at the history, yeah, most of that run up was just in the past three four months. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and it's it's not unusual for the stock to go down after after uh, the announcement, right? Usually, like yeah. usually when they have their new phone announcement, you know, everybody's like, oh my god, it's not the next iPhone, iPhone right. two point or whatever. Not this right? much, but <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there usually is a little bit of buying the rumors, selling the news going on. Right. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Usually not this much, right? And when's the, when's the next um, result? So this is we're now in the first quarter of Apple's next year, right? So usually, and usually they have their report sometime around um, after Christmas, right? Yeah, I think the right? next report will be after Christmas. So the the next dividend payment is is due in a day or two. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, which may which may also contribute to why there's been some sell off. You know, the the ex dividend date. So there's two dates associated with dividends. There's what's called the ex dividend date, which is the date where if you're a share shareholder, registered shareholder before or up to the ex-dividend date, then you get the dividend. Even if you sell the stock after that date, oh, you still, you get, still it. get the oh. dividend. Uh, and and the actual date that it's paid out is is sometime later. Uh, so ex-dividend was you know a few weeks back or whenever it was, uh, and the actual payment date is the next couple of days. So so for some people, it makes sense. You know, once once they've locked in the dividend, they just sell them, they get out, they take their profits, they go. And uh, and if a lot of people do that, that can contribute to the stock going down for sure. Right, right. I, again, usually not this much, but uh, but it's all contributing factors. Yeah, and then you can go on the word of Jim Cramer, you know, who's who says Apple's still a good good buy. Yep. <laughs> so we believe in that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is related to the tariffs that are in place right now uh, with China. You know, we're mm-hmm, we're definitely mm-hmm. Apple's shipments to China are presumably going to be affected by that potentially pretty strongly, and that could be right. why the the 10R is lighter than expected. It's possible. I don't. I don't know. I'm speculating. Right. Right. But it's certainly yeah. possible. Well, and it's hard to see. We we don't have we don't have you know the same crystal ball that Apple's looking to for you know they can tell from the the number of orders I guess on the first day or first couple of days what what the sort of sales cycle is going to be like for these things right so mm-hmm. and people might and last year you know the the 10 was didn't come out until December I think right wasn't it delayed when the iPhone 10 was available I think it was only so, like a month wasn't it wasn't like more like October yeah I don't know somebody mentioned December today but I'm not sure if that number was actually right but yeah it was a delay like you could get the eight for many moons before you could get the uh, the iPhone 10 last year but this this year it's the other way around you get you get the 10s and 10s max a week or two before the 10r was available right so yeah it was November 3rd for last year so the event is usually like September and they're like oh yeah. the new phones are available for order this week delivering next week and so they're about a month out uh, yeah. November 3rd yeah. was the delivery date and it's hard to say what the what the market's thinking too like I mean the consumers I think I should say are thinking that um, I think I thought we said that somebody had mentioned that the purchase of an iPhone 10r was 
still a great purchase because you're saving a couple hundred bucks or $250 less than you would pay for an iPhone 10s, right? Um, and you're getting just as good a phone. You know, if you're not into like the you know highfalutin photography and you're not into the, even though it's still got a great camera and you're not into, you, you don't really need the OLED disc- display, the apparently the liquid retina display is quite good. In fact, it's the same one they're using in the iPad Pro. So um, I still think the 10Rs is a decent phone, right? You know, it's my opinion, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, so Jaime's not here, but he did post a couple of things here which we can probably dig into and talk about. Well, one of them is, it's actually technically follow-up because Greg and I were talking about this last week, uh, Samsung's foldable smartphone, right? Um, yeah, it's just, isn't this the same link you put in there, Greg? Got a video at the top now. Uh, I don't think the link I put in had a video quite yet. This still looks like it's a bad animated GIF capture from the keynote. So maybe Samsung hasn't released any yeah. actual media of this thing yet. Um, right. But these, uh, the, vi- the little video in the photos look much better than the ones that I, uh, from the article I had. Although, you know, I was posting articles from the day of, so they didn't have quite all the assets yet. Yeah, and to be honest, it looks kind of, the, the sample phone they got here looks kind of clunky and thick. But um, I, I heard something somebody talking about it earlier this week, and they were describing it as a tablet that folds so it can become the size of a smartphone, which makes sense to me, like in terms of like, if you want to have a tablet, you open it up, and if you want to just use it as a, as a you know touch device, you keep it closed, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah, that thing in the picture, though, looks like it's about an inch thick. I mean, that's yeah, that yeah. kind of nutty to carry around. <laughs> yeah. Won't fit in your pocket. Here we go again. Yeah. I think the maybe the more interesting thing that was coming out from the Android world was the uh, Night Sight camera. Did you say anything about that? Night Sight? No, what's that? Yeah. Um, I saw some side-by-sides. I'll, I'll put something in the show. I think I saw on the Twitter um, of the, just uh, basically like a low-light camera. And so I think mm-hmm. the Pixel 3, which um, I've seen a couple of, uh, I've seen a bunch of folks with, with, the, with the Pixel 3 posting just like normal photos on Twitter and on Instagram and places. And it's like, oh, you know, that looks pretty good. But mm-hmm. I believe... I believe it's like a software update that they're having. Uh, I think that went out today, and it's this feature called Night Sight, and it's like super good low light uh, camera. So if you're taking oh, a photo cool. in the dark, then it will um, uh, brighten it up. I think it's uh, doing some things with like multiple exposures, you know, to avoid like shake. Maybe it takes. I think the smart HDR on the phone does something similar, where it's actually taking a lot of frames, even though you're holding it up and you push the shutter. It was sort of like live photos. It was taking some frames before and after, and it'll kind of combine them. Uh, so it's like a super duper kind of an HDR. Um, so this one says for Night Sight, it's taking 15 frames in a third of a second so you need to you do need to kind of hold it steady to let it do its job but then it can combine all of the exposures together to get this um really good um exposure let me just post one thing in here uh i'll find the tweets and i'll post it in but it was just a bunch of side by sides uh let me just put it above the well, Android apple, apple said they're doing apple's talk or announcement talked about doing a similar thing um they're doing the it with the hdr um for yeah. like if you have a very very bright um i don't know it's like a blue sky very bright day and you're standing in front of it and you're a little bit backlit then to get like yeah. a good exposure yeah. for both the person and for the background this is like if you click on the link there to cnet link and you scroll mm-hmm. down a little bit the images are a little slow to load but there's one where it's like similar to apple where uh it's like a tree on a path and it's like the path is well lit but the tree is sort of in shadow but then if you look at the combined hdrish image like the tree looks nice and bright as well as the path but if you look at the picture of the cat for example the one on the left is just completely Mm. black (laughs) and the one on the right is like it's a cat on the couch and so it's a pretty good um pretty good comparison there between the two i will like i said i'll find the tweet because it was a very good um i think it was like somebody in the bedroom or something like that it was like really really dark and uh, it showed the side by side between what the um 
Night Sight was doing. Sure. I just I just use the Instagram filters to fix my pictures. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Always you know, do it for the gram. I approve straighten of that. Straighten them. I didn't, I didn't until Greg pointed. I think Greg or Jaime pointed out you can straighten your images once you've taken them. Like yeah, they even do this skew. So like a perspective yeah. fix. If you're taking a picture of a, a tall building from below and it's like the perspective is skewed, it's uh, it's got yeah. a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, I use it all the time. Like because you know, if I'm standing across the street from a building and I want to take a picture of the building, I think it's an interesting building and i can use the, the skew tool to fix it it's great mm-hmm, for sure yeah so, uh, so i don't right. need a stinking samsung phone i got into <laughs> it's a pixel phone uh, <laughs> exactly. here we go i got that i got the better link this one is from the verge uh for you oops for y'all to click on uh this one has that nice web thing where you, it has a slider if you uh i guess if you slide across or if you're on a desktop and you move the mouse left and right the yeah. top photo is a gentleman standing in a dark uh, garage or something like that and you can see the uh, night side it's like still a little dark but you can see his face it's kind of he's holding his phone so he's like the uh, screen of the phone is sort of lighting up his face but if you look at the original version it's yeah. just like totally um, blocky lots of ISO noise on there uh, no good um, so this link is a lot better the one on the verge and you can see the difference between the two so interesting thing the whole thing about computational photography is always really interesting to me because it's like we've re- yeah. we're reaching sort of hardware limits of sensor sizes and you know aperture and things like that so we have to rely on the neural engine or whatever uh, Google is doing in the Pixel 3 to sort of uh, improve the photos in, um, that people are taking with these devices. So some cool stuff here. Mm-hmm. Still slow to load, though. Is it? Even the Verge link? Oh, yeah. There's yeah. some good one. Okay. Yeah, there's know. some really... Uh, there's like the guy with a selfie, and it's like, you, you know, you can't even see him, but with Nightside on, it's, it looks like it looks like the daytime to me. So um, some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird sidebar discussion here for a second. So I've been noticing that, like, for... I don't know if... Maybe it's Mojave or something, but my... I'm finding web pages take a long time to load these days, and I, when I look at my, my, uh, my data transfer rate from my ISP, it's like 150 megabytes bits per second up and down so i don't understand why things are slowing down like safari just seems to be really sluggish or whatever i've seen that actually that for certain web pages and i can't track down which ones or why it's certain ones and not others uh the i will go to the page and and the progress bar will go to about 10 15 percent and pretty much just stop and i can you know kill the page reload it nothing is killing safari and restarting safari and it just loads instantly really so yeah uh, somebody with safari yeah i've had that kind of thing even before Mojave, where mostly with downloads, I would click something and it would download it. It would be like really, really slow, like 10, you know, kilobytes per second or something like that. And I would pause it and start it again. And it would go like, you know, one megabyte per second and just finish the download in a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. But always the first time it does, or very often the first time it won't do it. And I have to stop and restart it once. Um, so for big downloads, I notice that a lot. Yeah, no, th- this is just for web pages. Yeah. Should, you know, which should uh, load almost instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah, you would think. No, there's something going on with files and uh, yeah. 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 I'm actually still using High Sierra on this computer that I'm mm. recording on right now, so maybe maybe Mojave will help. But uh, you're saying no, Tim. You're on Mojave and having trouble. I'm on Mojave. Well, it could be that people are people are uploading um, um, P- high res PNGs or, or the largest file, large, largest image they, image they can. Right. Uh, I notice that a lot when I when I'm publishing the podcast, for instance. If I if I put a PNG in as the, as the sort of you know um, feature image and I load it on some sites like Slack or whatever, it takes a long time to render. Whereas if I just use a JPEG, it's you know obviously much smaller so it's going to be download faster right mm-hmm. um they seem to be more performant so it could be could be that Pe- people's phones are getting
getting better and the size of the file is getting you know larger and they're uploading the, the high reses and stuff like that. Could be. I think it's still something with Safari. Something is yeah, weird, I agree. But I stick with Safari anyway because it's still all around the best browser for me to use, I think. So I'll stick with my theme of last week of saying it's interesting to see what other vendors, um, Android being the other sort of mobile phone vendor in the world that we kind of pay attention to, uh, what they're up to. And photography is a bigger piece of these devices every day. And Apple had a big leap in terms of portrait mode and things that uh, came out this year with the camera. So it's interesting to see what, uh, you know, how the other half lives and what those Android folks are up to. Maybe as a preview of what we might see uh, next year from Apple. Perhaps, perhaps. Cool. All right. So one last thing here we have in our uh, main area is your thing about LSP. Yeah. I think this came up in the news. There's this thing from, uh, I think it's Microsoft with their Visual Studio Code editor. And they were thinking like, we need some way to do syntax highlighting. And um, Microsoft is very well known for their CodeSense. What's it called? The autocomplete thing that they have. Not Is it CodeSense? What's it called? Uh, Jaime would know. Whatever their autocomplete is that everybody speaks very highly of in Visual Studio. And so they've sort of protocolized it and said, we need a generic, you know, syntax highlighter code infra metadata kind of information service. And so they've made this spec called the LSP, the Language Server Protocol, which is like a server, um, it's like a JSON-based RPC thing that says, like, here's a snippet of code, what should it look like? Or here's a snippet of code that somebody is typing, here's the context, what should I suggest? And then the service is supposed to give that back very quickly. And then that way you can make these little plugins for different languages. So a uh, text editor like Visual Studio Code, would, you can imagine people could write their own plugins for these things, for their own languages, and get all kinds of things like, um, you know, smarter search and replace and all those kinds of features that we like in editors, refactoring, all that kind of thing. And so uh, Apple, maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, I don't remember, but they announced that they were going to bring Swift under this umbrella and have a sort of uh, a language server protocol compliant server that can support Swift. And then maybe that would wrap, I think the plan was that that would wrap SourceKit, which we all know and love. And then eventually the long-term plan was to have Xcode use um, LSP to do the um, all of its work with syntax having and all that stuff. And then maybe you know Xcode could be used for more than just C, Objective-C, um, Swift and whatever else it supports right now. Uh, so that's the idea there. So nice to see Apple jumping on a, a standard. And uh, the other benefit is that this thing is sort of open source available. So you can um, get support for this in other editors like Sublime Text and other places. So the Swift folks have announced they have their sort of version one of this open source on their GitHub. And um, it's the Swift language service. And I think it includes C and Objective-C and other things um, that follows the language server protocol. So you can plug it into Visual Studio Code or uh, I think they they provide this sort of initial implementations for visual or the instructions at least for visual studio code and sublime text if you use one of those two and then um, it uses again source kit and all that other stuff under the hood but this provides a nice interface for the text editors to support it so i saw somebody um i'll find the tweet uh, i'll find the tweet somebody tweeted they got this working with emacs if you're a unix nerd <laughs> and it was giving like autocomplete and things in swift in emacs because uh, he got it all plug- i guess he wrote a little bit of elisp and got it all hooked up there so again it's a nice sort of language neutral standard lsp and now there's going to be swift support for it so all the pieces are going to be coming together so lots of interesting stuff going on in the language world and it's all open source as well um the lsp the swift lsp implementation is also written mostly in swift so it's just another uh, you know i always enjoy reading code and seeing how other people write swift so it's nice to see another example of um you know swift style and how you might write swift from mm-hmm. the folks at uh, at apple so i'll put a link to the uh, i think i have a link to the announcement right now the form announcement i'll put a link to the github repository and i'll find the uh, video or screenshot i found of uh, lisp uh, somebody editing swift in lisp with all of the uh, syntax features in there cool very cool all right okay um and so the tldr is basically we'll you know be able to use that in, in other editors and get 
anything and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, that's the idea, yeah. And then, yeah. again, this will be also plugged into Xcode. I think there was a talk at Swift Summit last year. Uh, they had some folks from Apple talking, and one of the guys was talking about how um, you can submit your own... Refa- the things that you can put in the refactoring menu of Xcode, and you could submit your own and eventually make it into Xcode. Um, so it was like, you know, people can... If, if you can write that kind of thing, then you can make your own refactoring tool and maybe make it into there. So this is like one other vector, I think, to the, to get... Um, if you're interested... Yeah, to get your code into Xcode and get it more widely used. Um, but yeah, it won't just be Xcode. There'll be all kinds of editors out there in theory that can support this stuff. When's the VI version coming? <laughs> I should start working on that. I'm actually yeah. thinking, of, uh, thinking of switching over to Emacs. Uh, please don't email me, but uh, I'm thinking about it. Why? Um, I don't know. I feel like I you know, want to just shake things up and give it a try. And I kind of like the idea of having... I mean, I, I mean, I like Lisp as well, but I like the idea of having a whole operating system under Emacs and doing all kinds of things. That, I mean, people do all kinds of cool stuff in there with like org mode they keep track of their life you know they have like a million scratch pads going they have the little shell in there and i kind of like the idea of it i think you know maybe it didn't make as much sense 30 years ago because it was like it really was an operating system and that was all you ran but these days it's i feel like it's a lot more flexible um so anyway, i'm just thinking about it i like to you know i don't like to be too tied to one thing and say you know vi forever i'm never going to learn anything else like that seems kind of silly so i'm like well maybe i should try it out and see if i i feel like it's going to be a big rabbit hole and maybe i'll get sucked in and i'll be like you know <laughs> dreaming in elisp or something like that but i don't think that'll happen and I think I'll uh, I think I'll be okay, but I do want to try it out. I'm thinking about it. Interesting. I don't know text editors or text editors. Um, all right, <laughs> Lisp is an, English, is an interesting language, though. If if you've if you've never programmed in Lisp, it's uh, it, it's worth doing once at least. <laughs> you might not want to do sure. it more than once, but it's worth doing it at least once. Yeah, I think there's the famous quote about how like you know I don't know how much I believe it, but um, you know just knowing a little bit of Lisp will like change the way that you think about programming. Maybe you could say with like you know functions as code and code as data and all that kind of thing. It's uh, interesting ideas there. I don't know if I think it will change the way that you program, but it is a very, it's a different enough way of writing programs and thinking about programming that, uh, I don't know, I think it's worth, There's worth checking out. There's a classic book that I might have mentioned on the podcast before uh, that used to be the textbook for the uh, very first uh, computer science class that every MIT computer science student had to take. Yeah. Uh, and the, the book is called Structured Interpretation of Computer programming uh by abelson and sussman and it's it's a fantastic book it's 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 pretty dated these days but if you really want to understand some fundamentals of of computer science and and programming it's it's a great book to read uh now the language that they use is something called scheme which is a dialect of lisp and so i I actually took this class many many years ago uh and uh so i used scheme for you know for for everything in the class and it it was pretty interesting i mean it's it's you're really learning theoretical computer science when you do this and and low you know low level theoretical stuff but but sometimes i go back and look at the book and see what's in what's in there and man they're talking about stuff that you know it's still still in use today they're talking about streams and and uh and you know all sorts of interesting stuff that's that's uh, still around so it's definitely worth if you're interested in really the fundamentals it's it's definitely worth checking out the book it's one of the few books i actually own in paper in Uh hardcover no Uh less Uh, uh-huh. Every time I read it, I think I learn yeah. a little bit more. Maybe it's because my memory is faulty, but every time I read it, I feel like there's something else uh, yeah. that I yeah. get from it. So Absolutely. definitely yeah. check it out. They also did, um, I don't think they ever recorded themselves like lecturing at MIT, but they did a lecture for, I think, employees at like HP or something like that. So there's a set of 10 or maybe 20 lectures, and they, it's basically there. It's uh, six, is it 6002 or 6001? That was 6001. 6001. So it's basically that course with this book, but... Uh, 
um, they did it for uh, HP employees, like after mm. work or something. They did a bunch of sessions. So those videos are online if you want to, if you like videos more than you, and they're very like entertaining. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like watching your dad up on stage or something. It's very, uh, they're very, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, one of them dresses up, you know, he has like his wizard costume that he dresses up in one day. Yeah, I think so, like the was, wizard on the cover. I think that was Abelson. I don't, I don't remember yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what I got. I think it, maybe it was Sussman. Yeah, He's the silver one, I, I feel know. like. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's this. I'll find the link. Um, they're, they're very low quality they were filmed they were filmed like 30 years ago or something like that so yeah. and yeah. if you watch them do their live demos it's like anyway if you look at the computers it's like this 40 character commodore 64 looking thing that they do their demos on anyway if you like videos more than books then uh, you can check out these videos as well i think somebody else has taught the course and they have the videos online that like um maybe at cal or something i think they used to still use it and they have those courses online on like coursera but if you want to see the original two do the uh the book and the topics then uh, those videos are very good i was going to also recommend there's a book called um the little schemer which covers scheme yeah the style of the book is kind of weird it's like a question and answer kind of a uh, hard to describe but if you are interested in getting into lisp i would say don't read um sicp because that's kind of a computer sciencey book but if you just want to see a little bit of scheme slash lisp then uh, the little schemer is a good book to um, check out i'll put a link to that as well yeah. in the show notes I, I do know that there at least used to be i don't know if it's still there but in mit's open courseware which is their you know their version of coursera or edx uh you can get to it th- uh, through mit's website uh they used to have that course up there with the original videos i don't know if there's if it's still up there anymore it may not be but but it's worth checking out unfortunately now or, well fortunately or unfortunately depending on how you look at it the, <laughs> the the current version of the course now uses python instead of less or scheme mm, i Wait. believe they're still maybe at cal or something they still use scheme maybe I believe. yeah they're still yeah. somewhere where they do it um, yep. anyway i found the videos here there are yes there are 20 so it's 10 lectures but they're split into two so there's 20 mm-hmm. videos here mm-hmm. super low res but uh that doesn't matter i would still recommend checking it out yeah and yeah, it is on the mit open courseware site but it's yep. the again it's those hp lectures oh, 1986 okay. Okay. so yeah. it's 30 32 years ago but still what, what very very it? relevant 1986 they did it for hp employees uh so, so. i took the course in fall 1986 actually ah so but, it's right on the, on the yeah, same time but yeah. when i took it it was only Sussman, for whatever reason. Abelson wasn't teaching it that year, so Sussman did Ah, this is both. They take turns, uh, pretty much. So you see both of them in this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll find a nice screenshot of uh, Sussman in his wizard costume, Mm. and maybe I'll post a screenshot for everybody. Nice. (laughs) All right, can I have my show back now? (laughs) (laughs) We're done talking about Lisp and computer science-y stuff, yes. No, I'll definitely have to go check this stuff out. I think we're good. Oh, I should also uh, mention the um, structure and interpretation of computer programs. I think, I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before, but that book is completely available online. You can get the Mm -hmm. PDF somebody's made an epub version um so if you just want to read the is text, that the link that you posted here though greg yes uh yeah the link the url uh it's the sicp link that says yeah. sicp slash full text so the full text is available the course mm-hmm. videos are all available but the little schemer is not i think available you have to buy that one um, right. but again it's a nice introduction you can check out the website they give some samples from the book i think if you want to see what you're uh, see what you're getting into cool. yes they have uh-huh. a sample chapter on there cool so greg should we go around the table like we usually do and see if we ha- anybody has any picks we should why don't we stop at you tim do you have a pick i do have two picks actually oh um yeah so this is just a quickie i just saw this on uh on um 
LinkedIn uh, last week, we're talking about uh, a lot of a lot of talk lately about AI. And so somebody's put together a flow chart to just determine whether or not a program or a system is using AI. And it just goes through a bunch of different, you know, uh, things, you know, can it see, can it hear, can it read, can it move, can it reason, yes or no's, and then uh, all the way down to uh, a lot of a lot of the no's end up going back to start. Whereas if, you know, if it follows all these sort of permutations, it may in fact be using AI. So this is according to MIT's technology review. So but this is by Karen Hale. So, oh, there you go. Um, not related to Greg, not even spelled the same way, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, a, it's an audio medium. I had to sort of spell that out for you. Right? <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, um, just an interesting, interesting little chart. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at it at all. Yep. I did. I, 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 it was uh, more serious than I thought it would be. I thought it would basically be everything points to no, but yeah. this is a little more serious than that. Yeah. yeah. Does it eventually get, uh, does get down to it? It's, it's funny though. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot, again, it's one of these terms that that's tossed around a lot, like machine learning. People say it, but they don't, or blockchain. They, they talk about it, but they don't really know what it <laughs> yeah. is. Right. So, yeah. You know what I mean? So every, like everybody's like, Oh, Hey, it's got AI. It's gotta be good. Right. But they don't even know what that is. You know, like, mm. is it, you know, the, is it the T1 or the, the T2000? What is it? Which is the, which is the robot that goes after everybody in um, Terminator? T2000? Uh, it's T2000 or something. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit evolved in Apple's T2, but you know, Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point we'll get to the point where the uh, secure enclave will be the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger's brain um, and it's complicated so my second pick is a real quick one and uh, it was just that um, I had an opportunity um, to get uh, some courseware on Kotlin and I'm off this week so I took a couple of uh, hours earlier in the week to sort of take a look at Kotlin sort of go through you know sort of the Swift Apprentice kind of uh, version of Kotlin book that I picked up and um, is it the Kotlin Kotlin Apprentice? Uh, no, it's not, uh, uh, do, is there one from Ray? I, I didn't check it out, but um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. I thought <laughs> I, th- I thought there was. I don't know. Though. I think there is actually. There's one they're working on or something like that. I haven't, I haven't really gone back to the bookstore there and checked. But anyway, this is just a, this is a different one. Um, begins with a B and ends with Ranch. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So I went through it, and, and it's surprisingly very similar to Swift in terms of in terms of or Swift or, or those Swifty type languages. Um, so if you do know Swift and you feel comfortable with Swift, you'll really quickly pick up. Kotlin. I haven't really got to the point where I'd be able to build an Android app with it per se, but because it's just a theory, it's just a book on the language, right? So, um, but yeah, I could see how I could see how the because uh, you know I think our team at work is sort of evaluating whether Kotlin will will supplant or replace or augment their their current code base, which is mm. all you know written in Java right now. But mm. um, yeah, they were talking about uh, the fact that uh, you, you you know because of the Kotlin, it has a different kind of language, I guess from from it's all based on C, I guess at the, at the the roots, right? But um, yeah, I found it found it really really quick to pick up. I mean, you know, ranges are very similar to Swift ranges. You know, vals or your constants and vars or vars are variables. Functions are fun in um, <laughs> in uh, they are Kotlin, fun. But, they're pretty yeah, fun in Swift too. Yeah, but they're they're actually f u n in yeah, Kotlin. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the pun. Um, yeah, so there you go. So yeah, just a quick look at Kotlin there. So I have to have to dig into it a bit deeper into it. But I really haven't really found anything that was surprisingly different than what we're used to working with in Swift. So 
Or, or Microsoft read... friends would claim that both Swift and Kotlin are, are ripoffs of uh, C Sharp. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Well, I think Swift was sort of written from from taking the best things that were in other languages, and you know now there's the Swift uh, consortium sort of picking and choosing what they like about various languages. And mm-hmm. I think they got a lot in. from Rust. I, a lot of the Rust developers eventually came over the Swift. So I think there's a lot of Rust ideas. Um, yeah, definitely stuff from Kotlin. I think and C Sharp for its memory management kind of stuff built in. Uh, I think the whole async await thing came from also C Sharp. Is that right, Mark? I don't know. That's where it's kind of originated. Um, uh, maybe I'm getting that wrong. Anyway, yes, it's definitely, I think they've acknowledged that, you know, yeah, they kind of drew from the, the best of uh, many languages, including Objective-C, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, like I said, it was surprisingly easy to, to sort of pick up. And, you know, I was, you know, not, I was sort of breezing through the, the because of the background, already, you know, prepared and learned all these kind of things about from Swift and Objective-C. I didn't have to, you know, get have explained to me what conditionals were and all that kind of stuff. I could just sort of breeze through and try out the examples and um, see, you know, like, I didn't have to go through the error scenarios because it's the same area scenarios you'd get with, with you know, breaking type safety in Swift, you'd get an error if you break type safety in Kotlin, you get a similar error, you know, kind of thing. So it's pretty straightforward. And the tool, the IntelliJ IDEA, or just IntelliJ they call it, is a pretty slick looking thing. It looks a lot like Android Studio if you've used Android Studio before too, so. Yeah. Uh, that not surprising the same company, right? They're all made by JetBrains. Yeah. yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. Anyway, that's my picks. What do you got, Greg? Your secret, two secret picks. Two secret picks. I'm, I'm going with the code to keep this, uh, you know, episode just the code. Um, so it's two more things that I've sort of run across on GitHub or on Twitter or whatever. Uh, the first one is a project called uh, Allo Stackview. Allo, like, you know, Allo Vera kind of thing. Uh, it's from an open source, it's an open source project from the folks at Airbnb. And it's a, a sort of a nice way to do static table views. If you want to do a static table view, you can, always, or not just static, but if you wanted to do a static table view, you could use a storyboard, uh, not a nib, but it has to be a storyboard and you can do a static table view and sort of lay out each row like that. If you don't want to do it like that, and you want to do it in code, you have to implement, you know, self or road index path and like check if it's row one, do this, if it's row two, do this and so on. It's kind of a pain. Um, and so I think a lot of people started doing it themselves or when stack views came out, they started using stack views. Uh, we do that in our app as well uh, in some places and just sort of have a stack of stuff. So it looks like it could be a table view, but it's not. And it's actually a stack view and you get some benefits from that instead of implementing all the um, delegate stuff and data source stuff, you can just sort of add stuff to the stack uh, as you go. The downside, of course, is that you lose the cell reuse and some of the efficiency gains of table views. But depending on what you're doing, you know, sometimes it's okay that you know there's going to be a limited number of rows and whatnot. So this thing, this project, um, Allo Stackview, is um, like a nice, imagine if you imagine if you wanted a stack view, but you wanted a table view-like API for it. And this is sort of what this product is. So it supports things like um, did select row at index, uh, not index path, I think it's just index. And so it handles like touch events and things like that. But you just add stuff. So you say, you know, my allo stack view, add, 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 and it just keeps adding um, rows. And you can insert and delete and move things around. And I think it handles animation, things like that. So if you look at the results of it, it looks an awful lot like a table view. Like the example they have on the GitHub page is like they just add like a whole bunch of labels and it looks like just table view rows. And so... um, yeah, it's just nice because you get, again, the look and feel of a table view, but it's the API of like a static uh, stack view. So if you have this kind of thing, then uh, I would say definitely check it out and it handles selection and all of that kind of thing. Is it embedded in a scroll view so it's scrollable? 
It is. Yes, yes. Of course, it's scrollable. I, I believe it's actually using uh, UI stack view under the hood. I was hoping it was just using um, auto I mean, stack views are auto layout too. I was hoping it was just using auto layout, sort of raw auto layout. Mm-hmm. But under the hood, it's using stack views. So the other benefit is that, um, you know, cell, I'm making air quotes here, cells are like self-sizing because if you use auto layout in your content and you add it to an allo stack view, then it's inside, it's actually um, inside a stack view that's inside the scroll view. So the sort of sizing, if you change an element to grow or shrink, it'll sort of handle it automatically because it's all auto layout under the hood. You don't have to worry about cell resizing if it were a table view and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so pretty neat. Uh, they have a lot of examples. So if you use the Airbnb app a lot, then you'll probably recognize some of the sample screens that they have. Um, so some pretty neat stuff. It's a nice sort of um, low-level-ish kind of a class to use. Uh, but if you do a lot of stack view stuff or you do um, static table view-like things, but you don't want to use Interface Builder for whatever reason, then uh, I would say check this out um allo stack view uh the other thing i had was this open source project or a little code thing um from a friend of mine, Phil Ferrugia, who's here in San Francisco, and uh, he wrote a Medium blog post. This is from a while back, um, but I just came across it when I was searching for something else on GitHub. And he wrote a Medium post about how he tried to implement the, he calls it the drawer. Uh, the Serious Shortcuts app has that drawer at the bottom. I, I, I think I've seen most people call it the bottom sheet, where it's kind of, you know, it's all over every app these days, where it's like the little sheet that pokes up at the bottom, and you can pull it up, and it has stuff in there, and you can pull it all the way up, so it takes up the full screen, but you can also like pull it back down and the content hides behind it um and so he wrote this post and he has a github project about sort of how he thought it might work in the series shortcuts app in particular so he goes over like you know how would you design it how would you think about the view hierarchy he has some he draws out some diagrams on the whiteboard and uh, has some photos of his whiteboard in there and it's just a really well-written sort of tour about how you might um, build a component like this which again is becoming more and more popular these days so there's a blog post and then there's a github repository as well uh, with the code if you're interested in seeing how you might build something like this. Um, bottom sheet, aka a Siri shortcuts drawer. Um, so blog post and repository for you to check out as well. Cool. I'm, I'm all about the UI these days. So I'm, I'm finding all these little uh, UI things. I don't know what's, what's happened to me, but uh, that's what I've turned into. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I didn't even notice that this, the shortcut drawer in, in um, shortcuts. There you go. That stuff is all over the place. I think maybe Maps did it first, like two or three years ago, where the little search thing was there. But when you tap in the search, it kind of comes up and your recent searches right, are there. You know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. thing is all over iOS. That seems to be the new one of the new patterns in iOS. Like we had the hamburger menu and the side menus, and this bottom sheet thing seems to be the new thing. Um, so there's no built-in uh, UI kit control for it, I don't think. So you have to build it yourself. So it's kind of nice to see, um, you know, how how you might build it. And I like these things because it's the blog post saying like step by step how you might do it. Again, images taking forever to load here. <laughs> there's like animated gifs too, Tim. So you're gonna be waiting no, I'm for just, a while. I'm not even seeing anything. Like this happens in Facebook too. I get this sort of blurry. It gives a blurry image until the thing. Yeah. Is loading, right? So no, I mean, that's a feature. At least you can see something, right? Rather than just a broken image or a blank space. So that's oh, a feature. they want me to do something because they're saying something about the fact that I've been to this page before. Oh, do you have to pay or something? Is that what that is? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do people in Medium know that they're be- that people their users are being blocked? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'll put a link to the GitHub as well. We all we all care about the code anyway, so I'll put a link to the GitHub. That's the more important thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it, Mark. Do you have a pick? Uh, I think th- my pick was the uh, six double one book. <laughs> 
<laughs> the wizard book, as as I like to call it. All right. Yeah. So you think you're being tricky by not by not putting your 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 picks onto the pay onto the Google Notes, and Mark's tricky by giving us his picks before he gets right. the picks. Mm. Oh yeah. There you go. I see. I see what he did there. All right. He's tricksy, tricky. You think you thought Hami was the one to worry about? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So hey, uh, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. And Greg, if people want to get in touch with you, they can email me at mtjc at gregkeo.com. All right. And has anybody ever done that yet? Uh, no comment. <laughs> I respect the privacy. I respect the privacy of our listeners too much to report on that. All right. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, okay. As I say, usually my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. Until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm sure you got the walrus reference, but did you get that correct? I did. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of a Beatles reference, I think. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Really? Wow. That's as much so as there, I know. So there was the whole hmm. Paul is dead rumor. Yeah. yeah. And he was, you know, there was a, supposedly a stand-in for him. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so people would find all these clues in Beatles songs, supposed clues, even though it was mm-hmm. all not true. He's also sitting backwards on the inside cover of this um, Sgt. Pepper's, or on the back of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Yeah, and, and he's walking. He's out of step on Abbey the, Road. Yeah. Abbey Road. With, yeah, exactly. Bare feet. He's barefoot. So, Right, and he's like out of step with everybody else. Right, he's left. He's left. He's left-handed. So, well, so yeah. on the White Album, uh, there was a song called "Glass Onion," where John Lennon, mm-hmm. to mess with people, uh, put in a, a a line that was, "Here's another clue for you all: the Walrus was Paul." Mm. <laughs> so this is why I'm saying the Walrus was Greg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was if you play that song backwards, he actually says, you know. <laughs> It's actually right. a message from the long if you, dead if, Paul. Actually, if you play that song mess- backwards, he says he actually says that it was Greg Hio that he's talking, mm. <laughs> which oh, is really? amazing because mm. you weren't even born yet. Well, you know, he's, uh, he's a smart man. Yeah, maybe we can yeah. get a clip of that for the show. Too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. It's funny because I was actually just watching a bunch of Beatles stuff today because they because of the White Album re-release. Right? There's a bunch of new videos on YouTube that haven't been there for a while. Oh, really? Oh, check yeah. Like like um, well. The Beatles were the Beatles used to do. I mean, I, I don't know. If it was a thing in the sixties. Used to you know they used to make movies and stuff like that, and they used to actually make videos like yeah, uh, like in the same sense that didn't that didn't happen until like the ninety or the eighties, right? Wasn't Strawberry Fields the first official music? No, video? I mean 
they they did paperback writer. I mean, they took bits of the Hard Days of Night and, and made them like I saw one of I I feel fine today. You know, but mm. yeah, Strawberry Fields for sure. Like they used to do was they would release a single that wasn't on an album, right? So Hey Jude, um, Revolution, a few other things were released as singles. You know, actually, lo- separate lots of album. bands used to do that. That was kind of the it was actually kind of the standard before the album became the, the thing. Yeah, the uh, yeah the the medium of choice back when yeah. singles were a thing of their you mm-hmm. know in their own like in their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, it's just ironic that I was watching the Beatles today. I just they've they've actually got a Beatles page on on YouTube you can scri- subscribe to, and of course they, they're advertising this. I don't know if you've seen the White Album. The White Album already is what four sides long, right? Which is a pretty long album, mm-hmm. and for the day, especially in the day, and um, they've re- the sixty songs on this release that they've released. Mark, it's like, oh really? You know, yeah, you know, John going to the bathroom, and yeah. Paul emptying an ashtray, and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I did hear about stuff. this, and it has the uh, the full version of Revolution. Revolution 1, which includes Revolution 9, right? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Revolution 1 and Revolution 9 were yeah. actually originally the same song. So they played Revolution 1, and then yeah. they just went into this kind of long jam. And 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 in the jam, they put all the extra sound wow. and made it into Revolution 9. I thought dope was only Literally. legal in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's actually if you if you go onto this this page I'm talking about YouTube, you can actually see them playing Revolution, and it's the revol. If you look, if you look at it, look, watch it, and listen to it, it's the same Revolution as that's on the album. They played that live. So I don't know where this idea of Revolution Number Nine being tacked on to Revolution comes from. Not Revolution, Revolution, Revolution One from. Oh, okay. From the White Album. From the, the White Album. One. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the slow yeah. One. Okay, okay. Yeah. Not oh, the, the, yeah, the the Doo one, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the fast one was the actual single, right? And then there was. Another called song called Revolution One. That was the song. Oh, okay, I follow you. Okay, and Revolution okay. One and Re- Revolution Nine were were the ones that were the same song. Yeah, as we like to say, way more than just code. Hmm. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to write number 13 down somewhere. It's number 9, actually. Number 9? Number 9? Uh, number 9? <laughs> number 9? No, 13.30 into my recording. That's why I don't have to, don't have to go hunting for the, the sync, mm. even though it does look differently, but, you know. That's right. Drop a marker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, UI stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm the second day of my official vacation. Was is Veterans Day a holiday for you guys? Or it is not for me. Some people well, had a holiday. I, mean, I did it's, not. It's a federal holiday. I, we, yeah. I was working. I know some people had the day off though. Yeah. Federal meaning that it's like banks and stuff like that, or yeah, banks, banks and the government. Maybe yeah. they don't deliver mail on that day. I don't know. It was a Sunday, but they observe it on the Monday. So right. yeah, some people ours, had Monday yeah, off. Ours is, ours is well, Rem- Remembrance Day in Canada is our, yeah. our Veterans That's Day. That's definitely. So. Oh, you work at the bank though. So I was going to say nobody gets that day off. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah bonus, it's similar to day. here then. Like, it's not a, you know, not a general public holiday. Yeah, so I think, yeah, cause I, I vaguely remember, no, I guess we never used to get it off in school when I was a kid either, but uh, but I do know some people were, yeah, so I, I got to take the day off, but I'm out this week for some vacation, so. Mm, that's nice. I get the extra Monday after the weekend's over, too, so. I got a, we got a Oh, because you guys uh, don't have Thanksgiving next week, right? No. Yeah. How was your trip to oh, Grand Canyon? We already talked about that, right? That was three months ago. Oh, when, what was it? What was the thing? You were going to something recently? <laughs> a concert last, last week. week was, Where else was Generation X. A generation, yeah, Axe, which, Axe is, which is pretty grand. fun. Uh, yeah. it was five guitarists. It was Steve Vai, yeah. Joe Bettencourt, uh, Zach Wild, Ingve Malmsteen, and mm-hmm. uh, I can never remember the last guy's name. Uh, Tosino something or other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty fun. I mean, it was exactly what you'd expect from that lineup. It was a lot of yeah. 
really fast playing mm-hmm. uh and, and you know some more melodic than others um yeah. but there's you know there's a lot of a lot of you know showing off and flashiness uh but it was fun it was a good show mm-hmm. did they cover well-known tunes that you knew or yeah uh well a mix um there were a lot of cover tunes so zach wild who was uh used to be ozzy osbourne's guitarist oh, okay yeah. uh he played a bunch of ozzy tunes or sorry a bunch of black sabbath with ozzy ozzy tunes and nuno betancourt played a bunch of extreme he was an extreme so he played a bunch of extreme yeah. songs yeah. Yeah. steve i uh played some you know mostly his own stuff but uh they did a they did a deep purple cover as a as a whole group they did burn by deep purple oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i can't remember what else but yeah but there was you know pl- uh, there was enough recognizable stuff that it was even if you aren't a fan of any of those particular guitarists you'll still know some of the songs and it was it was it was a fun show mm-hmm. a pretty long show too i didn't get home yeah too. like well i was up in oakland which is which is a good hour away from here but i didn't get home till some like 12 30 at night really yeah. it was rough because it was a wednesday but uh, sorry a tuesday cool yeah mm-hmm. so tim if you look in slack i posted a link to that beatles revolution one and revolution nine thing i was Remix? talking about yeah yep. oh, yeah yeah huh. i wasn't making it up who knew well, yeah, I saw the, I saw, well i saw the uh the remixed uh white album which you know i have i have the whole beetle remix thing that they did you know a few years ago where they remixed everything in the catalog but like i, I didn't understand why this um white album thing needed to have another remix but i, I didn't realize until I, until I was looking at it today that it's like 60 songs deep or something mm. this 2018 and they've done a remix for 2018 which i don't know what does that mean one wonders you know mm. oh there's actually the beatles.com how about that they actually have their own website now mm. amazing since two of them are dead yeah <laughs> well, or three depending on whether you believe paul died mm. in that sure. paul is dead true, yeah. it's true right. ringo could be the only one yeah exactly right. Right. interesting and billy shears has been milking it for 40 years now 50 years uh-huh. oh you think that's billy shears is touring around as paul Hartney? well that was the thing right that was the that was one of the rumors was that billy shears was actually the guy they got to replace paul and he assumed paul's right. identity back in 1977 right. <laughs> and he looks the same as paul it, that's why they got him that's why they liked him right it looked the same sounds the same mm-hmm. wow this this remix is six cds long and one blu-ray no so, like the first, the first two parts are the the actual album, and then there's a bunch of Escher demos. And then there's four, three CDs of sessions. In case you haven't had enough Beatles already. And then of course the white album on Blu-ray, which I don't never understood why people put albums out on Blu-ray. What's the what's the purple point of putting albums out on Blu-ray? Is it like a higher bit depth or something? Or? Yeah, I guess it's just higher quality sound supposedly, but I'm not. You sure. could get like surround, you know, five point one stereo surround or something. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they used to they used to make a few albums in quadrifo- quadraphonic sound. Yeah, you know, like four speakers. Quadrophenia, right? By the Who was was that actually four channels? Was wasn't that the, the source of the name? I thought it was. Uh, no, I, I know you could get you used to be able to get Dark Side of the Moon in quadraphonic phonic sound which i've always wondered what that would sound like but who knows wow six cds worth of stuff across the universe take six i'm not sure what was wrong with take five but you know or four three glass and onion two, for that matter glass onion take 10 hmm. oh, wow talk about finding stuff on the cutting room floor hmm. yeah and this is all the stuff that didn't get put into that uh that anthology series 20 years oh, really? ago right well yeah. that was the first round of best stuff they could find yeah right yeah. and this is yeah. about takes and this is the i guess uh the stuff that wasn't wasn't good 
enough to make that cut. Yeah. That's like Frank Zappa. They keep finding stuff for him to release, too. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, people want it, I guess. Store. Let's see how much they want for this thing. Oh, they have a Canada store. How about that? Beatles Online Canada. Let's see. How much is this thing? Oh, you can get a three CD set for $35. So you can get, let's see, what can you get? You can get four albums. Of course, they have the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Anniversary Edition. Picture disc version. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this stuff's all on Amazon. Yeah. 138 bucks for the Super Deluxe version. Is that on uh, vinyl or on CD? Uh, CD. Vinyl's only 90 bucks. Huh. MP3 is 66 bucks. You get the entire George Harrison collection for $500 mm. on LP. An LP, really? Yeah, yeah. In a big box. Big giant box. And the Beatle Christmas rocket record box, too. How about that? Oh, the Christmas singles? Yep. Have you found the Skydio anywhere there in Toronto yet, Tim? No, no. I've been to three Apple stores so far. I have to try Sherwood <laughs> Gardens now. Wow. But, okay. but it is listed It is listed in the... Well, so here's technically the thing, right? You can buy it from the Apple Store app in Canada. Mm, yeah. Okay. So what does that tell you? They're not flying around the stores anytime soon, right? We're looking by t-shirts on the from the Beatles store. I guess these are official Beatles t-shirts. Cool. All the stuff you never thought you needed. Mm-hmm. And you didn't think you needed it because you really probably didn't need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found a page with CDs on it, so... Looks like there's also a Imagine release, new release. Imagine mm-hmm. the Ultimate Collection and Film release. You're looking at Amazon? No, I'm looking at the Beatles.com website now. Oh, okay, yeah. I saw the Foo Fighters play, and they started playing the piano piece from um, Imagine, right? Mm-hmm. And you thought, oh, they're going to cover Imagine, and instead they sang Van Halen's Jump, because it's the same song. You know? It's the same song? Yeah, I guess the same chord progression. So oh, they, really? So the, yeah. the, guy's playing, the guy's playing, like, the Imagine piano, and Dave Grohl is singing, you know, Jump really slowly, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. What will they think of next? Yeah. Wow. There's a uh, an album by Jefferson Starship, mm-hmm. which is it was the you know the post Starship Jefferson Starship when Paul Kantner took over again. Uh, that was a uh, an album of old cover tunes, Americana style cover tunes, and one of the ones they did was a mashup of Imagine and Redemption Song by Bob Marley. Oh, really? Where they kind of play them both together at the same time. It's actually pretty interesting. But I guess they are they're mm. also the same chord progression. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Job my band it's cr- crazy by doing stuff like that we'd start a song and i'd sing a different one mm. just to mess with them so what was this about you uh jamming out at the td party or something what was this yeah well so we have a we have a town hall every year and yeah. so they had two of them they had one for our our you know um computer technical services group and then they had another one for the entire you know 600 people thing which mm-hmm. is all the mobile and you know websites and phone channel all that kind of stuff together and um yeah i was asked to put together a band of people from TD and it was a real struggle getting people to join up. I had a few people join up and then they got cold feet and they, mm. they didn't think it was enough time to get it to do it. And so me and one of the other guys I work with, uh, we were all for it and he went and found one of his friends. We've got a drummer to come in from London, Ontario. So we, we went and practiced the day before we had to play and then uh, we played. Yeah, we played four songs and what was interesting though was I was playing in Hall C, which is the, the same hall where they do the Fan Expo in at the Metro Convention Center downtown Toronto. So it's a pretty big, you know, hall. Like it's not a you know small place. And so the thing is that the the guy who arranged the the whole thing got like a proper you know um, stage set up. Like uh, what do you call it when you have a um, risers? So you had proper risers and PA system, and we did a sound check and all that kind of stuff. So it was like you know being able to play to jam. We we only ever played once before in the sound check. So we went through all the songs in the sound check, and then we played them live. Um, we did four songs at lunch um, for the crowd. Yeah, so it was kind of cool playing in front of like you know six hundred people from work. You know, at full blast. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. 
I mean, like, what do you got to lose? You, you know, you know. I, I kept reminding people we're not the yeah. Beatles. We're we just work your dignity. So. Huh? Just your dignity and the respect. Dignity, of your respect of your coworkers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say those two as well. Well, you just don't mess up. That's all, right? Right. right. We made tons of mistakes, but nobody noticed. Just us, right? So, mm-hmm. but not bad for having just thrown it together really quickly over a short period of time, right? So, yeah, yeah. So that was that was, and it's it's funny because I had just bought the uh, Rickenbacker this summer for my birthday, right? And then uh, oh, the you know never. Yeah. Huh? The bass, yeah. yeah. The bass, yeah. And then, I, then it just like it, it happened that j- during sound check, I was only supposed to play bass on one of the songs, and then we were just going through it, and the other guy had brought a guitar, but he liked, he liked the look of mine better, so he was going to do all the lead stuff, and so he asked if he could play my guitar, and then we just I sort of said sure, and then we just thought about how awkward it's going to be switching, and I said, you know, what, I'll just figure out the bass for whatever, and we went through, and I sang and played bass at the same time for the four songs, so which is you know I'm not a bass player, so that's why that was a challenge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good time, lots of fun. Is it on YouTube? Uh, I've only seen like 10 seconds of it recorded, but uh, yeah, no, it's just, uh, <laughs> is it on YouTube? I don't think so. Yeah. I haven't been back. To, I really haven't been back to work since because I was like, had... Uh, Too embarrassed to go like, back? No. It was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> Lost no, the respect the, of his coworkers. Yeah. That was on Thursday. And then and then basically I had one day back at the office and nobody goes into Friday. It goes in for Fridays anymore. They all work from home. And uh, I didn't see anybody. And then I was off, you know, this week. Right. So I haven't talked to anybody. People have walked up to me who... I did see and said, oh, it was really good seeing you do that. So, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do it enough times, you get used to it. I've sung karaoke in front of the, pretty much the same crowd, so I'm not really that worried about it. <laughs> but they were probably a lot more drunk when you were doing karaoke. Yeah, that's true. Well, the thing about this, yeah, they're all like, oh, I couldn't do karaoke until I have, like, you know, a few a few drinks in me. And, like, you know, I don't, need a, I don't need a few drinks to start singing. So, as you guys can probably guess from having been on this podcast for four years. <laughs> I think you've actually sang on the podcast. Uh, I think I have. Have you? Yeah. This one, well, I sing them roundabout all the time because Tammy, you know, takes her time doing stuff. Mm-hmm. We do the Jeopardy song while you're looking stuff up. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, stop the recordings and uh, like that. Start the upload and all of that fun stuff. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.